You know, it was uh, definitely the most adventurous, while at the same time dangerous season of my entire life. Three months, a 42-foot boat in the middle of nowhere, rural Alaska for an entire summer. For whatever reason, I let my former roommate convince me it'd be a good idea to be a greenhorn for an entire summer as a salmon uh, commercial fisherman off the coast of Sandpoint, Alaska. You get up there, you're, you're getting used to the, 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 you know, the 18 hour uh, days of sun and all the work and you get all the gear and they're taking through all the safety protocols and, and it wasn't bad. You know, after all the seasickness wore off after like a week and I wasn't puking up all the Cheez-Its I kept eating every night, it, it got a little bit easier, I'll tell you that much. But it wasn't until uh, halfway through uh, the summer that I finally got my first opportunity uh, to be on what was called Anchor Watch. And, and if, you know, if you know anything about boats, it's pretty simple. You just got to make sure that the boat doesn't drift, that you don't drift into your gear, that you don't drift into shore, you don't drift into another boat. Whatever it is, your job is just to make sure no one else dies, okay? It's pretty simple. And in our boat, like, you know, had all those like little knobby things and all the gauges. I didn't know what really any of them meant, except for if we started to drift, I had to turn this key, turn on the trolling motor and kind of make our way back to make sure that our anchor wasn't dragging. And I was kind of like, okay, this is easy, no big deal, because there was like these fail-safes that would happen uh, for, for the anchor watch. You would set it, and it would kind of beep a couple times as the boat began to kind of drag. And then, though, you'd get the meh, 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 meh alarm when it meant you have gone way too far away, too far off course. So I was like, pretty simple. You know, with it, the alarm's never gone off all summer. This should be easy. And so I'm sitting behind the wheel. We just spent an entire day at the nets pulling out all the fish. And I'm just kind of sitting there, kind of dozing off, you know, eating some Slim Jims and all that good stuff. And, uh, and then finally I hear the beep, 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 beep. And I'm like, oh no, it's happening. Okay, okay, what do I do, what do I do? And, and, and so then I, I remembered what my captain had told me. And what he said is, is as the beeping begins to start, all you need to do is check two things. Number one, is the anchor dragging or not? Are we still at the foundation, the spot we don't want to drift from? That was the first thing. And the second thing he had said is keep a point of reference. And what he meant by that is pick a landmark on land and say, okay, I know that as long as we stay relatively straight with that thing, as long as we don't get too far away from, from that tree or that lighthouse, whatever it is, then we should be good. And so sure enough, it starts to beep, beep, beep. Okay, we're not too bad. You know, we're kind of moving. We're ebbing and flowing. And then it started to get faster. Beep, 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 beep. And so I turn on the trolling motor and slowly make our way back and the beeping goes away. And then about an hour later, beep, beep, beep. Sure enough, same thing. Turn on the trolling motor, slowly make our way. Beep, 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 beep. And you get the idea. For four hours, we just slowly move, drift away, and then we kind of make our way back to our point. Here's where I want to start with that this morning. Is that just like that boat, our lives have a tendency to drift, don't they? Think about it from a doesn't your life have a tendency to drift day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year? Don't your dreams tend to drift? Your habits, your relationships, your goals. I mean, think about that, that, that friend from high school. You were inseparable, and then perhaps you go off to college, or, or you, you go into the workforce, and, and maybe you get married, maybe you have kids. I don't know what it is, but, but you know, what was used to be an inseparable friendship has now, what do we say? I don't know, we've just kind of 
we just kind of drifted apart. You see, this idea of drifting is something that is, is natural for all of us. We're all very aware and in tune that we in our life have a tendency to drift. You see, when you drift, kind of two things are happening. You're drifting away from something, and oftentimes you are drifting towards something else. You know, it, it reminds me of that scene, if you've ever seen the movie A Bug's Life. Great movie. Uh, my kids have seen it once or twice. They like bugs or, well, I guess my daughter Avery loves bugs. My son Jude is like scared to death of bugs. But, you know, there's that one scene in which there's that, that electric light and where the flies go in and get zapped. And one of the flies is like going to, he's like, no, don't go to the light. He's like, I can't help it. And the, right? And so it's the same thing is we have a tendency to drift, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, you and I alike, we drift in life. Simply put, we drift. It's natural. It's not necessarily right or wrong at times, but we drift. And so our attention for this series, as we're, as we're kicking off this series for the next nine weeks, getting ready to study the book of Hebrews, this is the tension for this morning, and this is the tension for the entire book of Hebrews. It's this, is that we naturally drift towards, typically, isn't what we would naturally choose. What we naturally drift towards in life isn't typically, probably, what you would naturally choose in life. Think about it. Think about if you spend all this time developing perhaps a new, a new diet pattern, right? You wouldn't naturally choose to, to, to put yourself in poor health, but you naturally drift away from it. Think about perhaps a relationship with, with a spouse. We talk about, you know, sometimes we fall out of love. We wouldn't necessarily choose to not love that person anymore, but we slowly drift away. What we naturally drift towards isn't what we would naturally choose for ourselves. You see, sometimes what we drift towards is maybe what's easier, what feels right, what's more comfortable, more familiar in life. I don't know what it is for you, but there's going to be something, perhaps many things that you find yourself drifting in and out of in life. So if you have your Bible, I want you to start thinking about this idea of drifting and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is, is in the back of your Bible. It's probably easier to go to the very end, go to the, the far right, find the book of Revelation, and then go to the left a few books. You'll hit uh, Revelation, you'll hit Jude, you'll hit the book of James. Uh, there's a couple Peters in there and that type of stuff. And then you'll get to the book of Hebrews. And as we start off this teaching series through Hebrews, I want to give us three uh, keys to understanding the book of Hebrews as we get ready to dive in. Ready? Number one is this. Number one is we don't know who wrote it. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. All of these chapters, we have no idea. And see, sometimes for us, we talk about knowing the author, knowing who, who penned the letter sometimes gives us a little bit of insight and understanding, some historical context to how to read and better apply it to our life. You see, the book of Hebrews, it's referred to as an epistle. However, it's not like the Pauline letters. It's not like the Pauline epistles. You see, it's not quite a letter. It's more of what most scholars think it was a sermon or a collection of sermons. You see, I like to think of it as it was like the, a first century podcast. It's going to talk about these different, uh, these different themes and topics and ideas about being a Christian and living in faith. And we're going to tie them all together under one central umbrella, right? But we don't know who wrote it. Some say perhaps it was the Apostle Paul, but it doesn't read like any of his other stuff. 
Some say, well, what about Apollos? He was a, a church leader. He was renowned. He was a preacher. Maybe, maybe this was Apollos. We don't know. Some say, well, perhaps it was Priscilla and Aquila, but mainly Aquila. She was this great church leader, and she was leading the church, and she would have had all these Jews in her home church in which she was helping them find and follow Jesus. Maybe it was her. The thing is, is we don't know. What we do know is, is in the book of Timothy, it tells us that, that Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed for the teaching, the anointing, the rebuking, applicable for life and for faith. And so even though we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, it's still powerful in our life today. Number two is this. So while we don't know who wrote it, we do know who received it. We do know who received it. It was, well, the Hebrews, right? What that means is, is this, this sermon or this, this, this podcast of the first century, if you will, was written to the Hebrew people, the Jewish Christians of that time. You see, it was most likely the ethnic Jews who had converted to Christianity. You might have ever heard the term of a, a Messianic Jew, someone who maybe grew up in the traditions of the Jewish faith or someone who was, who was ethnically Jewish, who though also now believes that Jesus Christ is Yeshua. He is Messiah. He is Lord and Savior. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is everything that scripture is about. He is a part of the triune Godhead. He is the chosen Messiah. You see, for me, this is, this is important because as, as, as an ethnic Jewish person, I get this. I understand it when it comes to this idea. You see, we think it was also probably written to the Jews because there was no mention of the destruction of the Jewish temple in AD 70. So it's probably written in the late 60 ADs, but the content is, is heavily what we call messianic. It talks a lot about Jesus. It talks a lot about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, the prophets, how Jesus is greater or better. He has, he has brought everything under the umbrella of himself, that everything about scripture points to Jesus. So when it comes to application, when it comes to understanding the law, when it comes to knowing the role of the priests and how they they were a foreshadowing of the things to come. All it's trying to do is to point us to Jesus. And as the Jewish people, it's kind of like the author of saying, you of all people should know. You of all people should understand and get that this is what is about. We do know who received it. Number three, it's this, is that we can glean much from it. We often say when it comes to Bible study, when it comes to reading scripture, the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. See, what was happening is these Jewish Christians, they were facing the tendency to drift back to what felt normal or easy, perhaps the traditions or the rituals that they had grown up with. See, back then, the Jewish audience would have responded to Jesus in one of three ways. Number one, some would have received Jesus wholeheartedly and, and they would have seen that all of the Levitical law, all 600 plus of them, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, the Shema, everything was a foreshadowing of the Christ Savior, the chosen one, Jesus, the Messiah to come. And they would begin to implement those into their life. And what was kind of what was happening is they were then, so, so do I, what do I do with that stuff? Do I go back to it? Do I add it? Do I continue to do those things? And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, no, no. He is the fulfillment. He has completed all of that. No need to go there. Some of the Jewish people would have received Jesus intellectually. Perhaps they would have acknowledged him as a good moral teacher. Perhaps they would have said, okay, yeah, yeah, I get how this might connect, but it never made it to their heart. The head knowledge never became heart changed. And the third were the ones who would completely reject it. No, I don't believe it. 
And I don't quite see that. I'm going to sit in my old ways. I'm going to sit in my old paths. I'm going to sit in my own familiarity of what it is. See, they had this tendency, all of them, to drift back to what felt comfortable, to the old way of life. This tendency to drift away from Jesus to what their heart said, their heart wanted. Sound familiar? See, while we might not be looking to, to drift back to the Torah, to the sacrificial system, don't you and I drift in our faith? Don't you and I drift back to the old ways, the old temptations, the old choices, perhaps the old relationships, that we all have these poles, these magnetic poles that constantly invite us to return? And what's happening in the book of Hebrews is this, is that the author is so gripped, he is so, or she is so overwhelmed by the magnificence of Jesus being the fulfillment of all of this, that it's like, how could you go back? Right, it's like this massive headline, Jesus is here, he has done it, he has accomplished it. Why would you even think to go back to your old way of life? When you notice yourself drifting, why would you not stop and run back and anchor yourself in the Messiah? He's, he's, she, the, the author, is so overwhelmed with the majesty, the glory of Jesus, his compassion, his grace, his love, that it's like, like, like it's just, 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 why would you throw that away? Why would you try to add to it? Why would that not be everything that your life is, everything that your life stands for? Why would it not be everything that you find yourself? If I'm going to drift from anything, I'm going to drift from everything else so that I might drift back to Jesus. That's what Hebrews is about. Even though it was not written to us, even though you might not be ethnically Jewish, even even though you might have, not have the temptation to go to a sacrificial system, I guarantee you are drifting in life and Hebrews is speaking to you as it is to me. Why? 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 Why return to the old ways? Why return to the old choices? Why return to the things that perhaps brought you pain or confusion or hurt? Why not live out this new life found in Jesus. So here's kind of what, what, what Hebrews is saying is that anything prior to Jesus was always incomplete. It was never fulfilled. It was a foreshadowing, but it wasn't a hundred percent. It gave indication of what is to come. That's what Hebrews is kind of always saying. Yeah, at the same time, too, the Apostle Paul, as, he's, as he's, he's going against kind of the Gnosticism, the other ways of thinking in the life, uh, the Apostle Paul is basically saying anything after Jesus is suspect. Anything after Jesus trying to tell you truth, anything after Jesus trying to draw you away, anything after Jesus trying to be added to it is suspect. And so then the truth of it is, that, is this, is that everything about Jesus, it is full, it is complete, and it is final. It does not need to be changed. It does not need to be amended. That Jesus is here. Jesus is alive. And let's not drift. Hebrews chapter 1. That was a good setup. We're here. We're ready to go. Let's do this. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this. It says, in the past, just saying in the old times and in the ways and throughout history, God, 
Yahweh spoke to our ancestors. Again, so that's our first indication here that it's Jewish. We're speaking to our ancestors through the prophets and many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, capital S, Jesus, whom he appointed to be heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So let's start here. Number one, doesn't this not really sound like a letter? It sounds like the start of a sermon. You just, just let's just get into it. Let's just dive in. Let's let's kind of I'm going to rope you in and kind of I'm not I'm going to avoid all the pleasantries and all that type of stuff. And he says he starts out with this interesting thing. He says, and so God spoke to us. See, back then it was very important for the word of God to be spoken, the truth, the the, the prophecies, the lineages to be spoken. Why? A couple things. First and foremost, they didn't have phones. They didn't have tablets. They didn't have computers. They didn't have Siri. They didn't have Google. That the only way that that information was oftentimes communicated in, in a majority scene type of opportunity was through verbal speak. That things written down on the, on the quill and the papyrus, it was expensive. Not everyone had access to it. Not everyone knew how to write or, or, or how to read. And so it was vitally important for speech to be the way of communicating information and truth. We also need to think, though, that, that speak, God speaking, is how it all began. In Genesis chapter 1, it said God spoke the world into origin. That he would speak the days, he would speak creation, he would speak you and I into life. And because what would typically happen is God would speak, and then there would kind of be a middleman before it got to everyone else, before it got to the Jewish people. That God would speak, and the angels would come, and they would deliver the message. God would speak, and would go to a prophet, and they would go to everyone else and deliver a message. But now the author of Hebrews is saying, that's in the past. That's no longer the way it is. Boom, we have this new man who doesn't require the message coming to him by someone else because he is the message. That's what the others, he, 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 he said, he said, the reason why Jesus didn't need a prophet, the reason why Jesus didn't need angels, the reason why Jesus didn't need a theophany of God to receive the, the, the words of God is because he is God because he is the message. And that's so important because the Jewish people oftentimes had to, had to kind of filter things through. Did it come through the right source? Did it come through the right person? Oh yeah, tell me about this angel that you supposedly saw. And what the author of his Hebrews is trying to get us to is saying, he's saying Jesus requires no messenger. He requires no messenger because he is God. He was man, but he was also God. This is where C.S. Lewis's, his, his, what he defines as the great trilemma comes into play. You need, you need to decide for yourself, is Jesus Lord, liar, or lunatic? Is Jesus man, is he myth, or is he Messiah? You see, you know what Jesus can't be? Jesus can't just be a good dude. Jesus can't just be some good moral teacher. Why? How could someone be a good moral teacher? Let's just say, let's just say, let's just say that for, for whatever reason, Jesus was not God, not Messiah. Of course, we believe that he is. You know, don't hear me. Hear this. Would you believe someone claiming to be God? Would you believe someone so deranged that they walked around saying, yep, I am God, listen to my words. There's no way that you would believe the, the, the validity, the speech of that person. 
And so then you have to resolute for yourself. If Jesus can't be a good moral teacher, there's no morality about claiming to be God. So what is he? Was he just a man? Was he a myth that people made up? Or was he the Messiah? That's why the author of Hebrews, he jumps in. He's saying, we need to start here. Before we get into anything else, that we've known anything else, that we've heard anything else, we've seen, we need to start here. That Jesus, he is the son of God. He required no prophet. He required no angel. He required no messenger because he was the messenger. Because he was the message. Jesus is God. He is big, he's powerful. As it says in verse two, through whom he also made the universe. Spoiler alert, the universe was not made through you. Spoiler alert, the universe does not revolve around you. It is Jesus. I feel like the author is is saying, this is the point, he's saying, the first way we begin to drift is when we minimize the bigness of Jesus. And when our view of Jesus is small, we drift to what feels bigger. And when our view of Jesus is small, he was just a man, nothing more. He was man, he was perfect, but maybe perhaps he wasn't God. And when our view of Jesus is small, what we're going to do is we're going to naturally drift to what feels bigger. Well, Jesus was just a man, so I'm going to go over here to God's law because I know who gave it to me through the angels, through the prophets, through the messenger. Well, Jesus, man, he was just a good moral teacher. He said some stuff. I liked it. I wanted to go along. It made sense in my life. It worked for me. But over here, I've got the word of actual angels who like descended down from heaven. Oh, right? And then there's all this lights and then you know, it's like dubstep's rocking and then they give you this, this powerful word and you're like, how did you know this about me? It's like, I'm an angel, bro, right? That type of stuff. When we minimize the bigness of Jesus, when we make Jesus, in our view of Jesus small, we're going to naturally drift to what is bigger. And for us, maybe it's not the Old Testament. For us, maybe it's not to just wait for angels. Perhaps it's the things that you feel like give you the most comfort and ease and security in this life. We minimize the bigness of Jesus by saying perhaps things like he's a little out of date. He's a little out of touch. He's a little, you know, he's 2,000 years old for me. He's not really up to date on the things that I'm into these days. So I'm going to trust what is current, what's bigger, what's more valuable, what's more important in my life. Author of Hebrews starts there. You got to have a big view of Jesus if you want to follow him. He continues, picking up in verse 3. He says this, then he says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact impression like a thumbprint of his being, the exact representation, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, that's through his death on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. There it is, the glory of God, the majesty of Jesus. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. You ever wanted to know what God is like? You know, like you ever thought about, like, man, what's what's God really like? 
One of my favorite things when I was in student ministry is the questions that the high schoolers and the junior hires would ask. They're not afraid to ask these kind of big off-the-wall questions. It always reminded me, think though, you know, like, like this, this passage, you ever, uh, those people who, who look like they're dogs, right? Like you got the person, like the pug, and then like the person's face is like, always like, squish like this, right? Or whatever it is. Or like, or like the, 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 the lady who's got the poodle and she's got like this massive perm and her hair's like uber curly and, and just flowing around. In the same way, like if you ask, what is God like? What does he look like? What's his character? What's he, what is he interested in? Who, who, what team does he root for? I don't know, the Hebrews, of course, right? <laughs> you ever want to know what God is like? All the Hebrews saying is, look to Jesus. He is the exact likeness. It's the Greek word, character. It's the precise imprint. It was the same word that would be used to reference in, in, in the ancient Middle East when you would get a coin, the currency back then, it would have the imprint of the emperor of that time, right? It was the imprint of their face or, or the wax seal that was used to say, this is an official document. And so like the audience, when we want to try and decipher and find the character of God, we want to ask the big questions of life. What's God like? Does he care about me? Does he love me? Does he notice me? Is he going to be there for me? Is he faithful? Is he good? What is God like? And the author of Hebrews is reminding us to not lose sight of the character of God by not losing sight of Jesus because Jesus is the exact representation, the precise likeness. Because when we look to Jesus, we see the character of God. You see, prior to Jesus, we only got facets of God through different things. We only got pieces of God's character and his nature through various things. And so when we look at the law, we would get God's character. We would understand his, his, his heart and his way of living. When we look at the miracles, we would see how God would be gracious to his people. When we look at the theophanies, the way in which God would miraculously show up to be with others, we would see that God's desire, his presence to be with us. The sacrificial system is a reminder that God cares about justice. When we look at the priest, it was that God provided a way for mercy to be shown. And on and on and on, everything prior to Jesus Jesus was just a fraction. It was a piece. But then here comes Jesus. The full image, the full likeness, everything is pointing to him. That Jesus is the all-in-one place. You know like that pen that's got like 15 different colors and you get to pick which one? And then when you're a little kid, you try to get like three out at the same time. It's that type of thing, right? And that Jesus is the all-in-one character of God. The Bible was written so that we may know Jesus. That we may know Jesus. The fullness of God. You see, from this point forward, moving in Hebrews, in, in verse 5 through 14, through the rest of chapter 1, what the author of Hebrews starts to do is he starts to give these Old Testament references. He, he kind of references maybe the Psalms or Jacob or the prophets or whatever it is. And what he's doing, he's kind of building this case. He's like kind of, let me, let me tell you, let me show you how, how Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things, how, how all the Old Testament, how all this stuff has, has pointed us to Jesus. And then we turn to chapter 2, verse 1. And this is the thesis. This is the point of the book of Hebrews. He says, we must pay the most careful attention. Therefore, 
um to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The thesis of Hebrews, pay attention to your doctrine. Pay attention to the things you have heard. Pay attention to your life so that you don't drift back to the old. You don't drift back into the old traditions. You don't drift back to the old rituals. You don't drift those old choices, those old relationships, a.k.a. stop making Jesus so small. Stop, stop, stop minimizing Jesus that other things become bigger in your life that become this magnet for you to drift towards. Stop the drifting. You see, we drift when we minimize the goal. In anything in life, we will drift when we minimize the goal. We drift into bad eating habits when we minimize the goal of being healthy. We perhaps drift into habits of, of porn or isolation when we minimize the heart and the servitude of love. We drift to perhaps bitterness or anger when we minimize the call to forgive our, those who have forgiven us, to love our neighbor as ourselves. We drift when we minimize the goal. And Hebrews is saying, he's saying Jesus is big. He is humongous. He is God. He is fulfillment. He's better than prophets. He's better than angels. Make him big because if he is the biggest thing in your life, it will be very difficult for you to drift away from him. Don't lose sight of Jesus. So how do we keep from drifting in our faith? Two things. Number one, we need to remember where you are to be anchored. Remember where you are to be anchored, right? Anchor watch. This is where we are supposed to stay. This is the point in which we do not move from. This is the point in which we don't want to deviate from. Remember where you are to be anchored. When you're on anchor watch, you need to know this is the spot in which I need to stand firm. This is the spot I don't want to drift from. And so in your life, in your faith, especially with Jesus, you need to know what do I need to not drift from? And start by making Jesus big. In faith, we are anchored to Jesus. We are not anchored to our works. We're not anchored to our church attendance. We're not anchored to our giving numbers. We're anchored to Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus. We're anchored for Jesus. We're not anchored by anything else for anything else. You see, that was the, the issue with the Jewish Christians, with the Hebrews, is they were trying to anchor themselves sometimes to, to good things, to religious things. In Hebrews, the other Hebrews say, no, 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 you anchor yourself to Jesus and Jesus alone. Remember where you are to be anchored. And whenever you start to drift, that gospel, that truth of forgiveness and grace, that is your anchor. Don't drift. Don't drift back to the old way of doing things. Don't drift thinking you have to earn your way into heaven. Don't drift thinking you have to keep up appearances for God to love you. Don't drift thinking that because you haven't hit all these benchmarks that you've set for yourself that you're going to kind of be out of the club. Saying, don't drift. Be anchored. Be anchored in Jesus and Jesus alone. Number two, how do we keep from drifting in our faith? It's this. Find a point of reference to alert when you drift. I'm not a good drawer, <clears throat> artist, painter, any of that type of stuff. It's not my skill set. 
But I do remember learning that they, when you try to draw a 3D image, what they have you do is they put, you put a little dot at the back, like the center point, the furthest point in your image you're trying to draw. And everything then is referenced from that. We need to have a point of reference in our life. We need to know about ourselves to understand when we begin to drift. When we begin to lose sight, perhaps, of the bigness of Jesus, when we begin to minimize the power of our faith. And so my, my, my question for you is, what is the point of reference for you to know when you are drifting? Uh, like what's the thing that, like if you were to f- reflect on your, on your walk with Jesus, if you look back and you're in a season in which you, you, you had the confession and humble attitude to say, man, I just haven't been where I wanted to be. What could you point to as that point of reference? What's the habit? Maybe what's the thoughts that creep in, the doubts? What is it, that point of reference to keep you from drifting? As we move to our time of response this morning, I want to invite you to partake in communion with me with this idea of, are you drifting? Because here's what I need us all to know this morning, that you're going to drift. It's going to happen. We're humans, we're not perfect, we make mistakes, even though when we are by grace through faith, we are saved by the gospel, we are sustained by the gospel. You see, see, Jesus died for you because God loves you. God doesn't love you because Jesus died for you. Rather, it's the other way around. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. And so when we think about Hebrews and we think about our tendency to drift, what can you do right now, this week, this month, to remember the bigness of God? Maybe what's that habit? What's that point of reference to know that you've drifted away from the Messiah? Or maybe it's, what are the things that you're tempted to drift back towards? What are the old ways of life? What are the old choices? What are the old decisions trying to draw you in? Hey, I'm a little bit bigger. I'm a little bit better. I'm a little bit easier. I'm a little bit more comfortable. You sure you don't want to come on back? You sure you, you, sure you want to keep living like that? What, you know, that this would be a little bit easier for you. I'm familiar. It's not a drift. So as we think about why we don't have to drift, and that when we do, we are brought back and anchored by something even stronger and more powerful than we can imagine. It's the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And last night with his disciples, Jesus was in the upper room. He held up the bread. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Take it. In that same moment, he held up the cup. He held up the wine. He said, this is my blood, shed for you.
Forgive us for how we have drifted. Forgive us for making you small. Forgive us the times and the moments and the seasons in which we didn't believe you. Be our strength. Be our refuge. Be our anchor. Be our point of reference to stand firm and strong in our faith with you. May we be so overcome by the glory and the majesty of your son, Jesus, that our life with you reflects it back to the